I'm looking at this, and Kemba shoots 3 of 12 for the fourth quarter. 3 of 12. Uh-huh. The chances of that happening again on any other night are so slim. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Like, I, I mm-hmm. want to give... Like, I'm not I mean, arguing this, this, that that game this, wasn't ridiculous. This team in general, like, we... We joked about this on Blazers Outsiders last week. They went 4-1 and one on the last road trip. And then they were like, oh, they're going to go 0-4 oh, somehow at home. And then they'll find a way to go 4-1 and one on this road trip again. And it was the most tongue-in-cheek thing I think I've said in years. And they're... I don't know why that surprises you, Dan. I'm... I don't know after all of these years oh. of being a Blazer fan, that surprises you. I mean, well, even with all the weirdness that has been Portland and how they've played, the one constant really has been that they, they play well at home. Like, for them to go 0-4 on a homestand, I'd have to dig back in the record books. I'm sure the Blazers have this. That's That's got to be, like, other than the jail Blazer years, I how many times have they really gone that bad at home? Like, over. I think I think things are, are tough at home this year because I think the crowd is running out of patience and they can feel it. And then there was booing and you can just, you can feel the tension. And I, part of me, I, oh. I switched sections this year from one section into a different section and the vibe what in it was different. And I'm starting to wonder if it's really just the vibe in the whole arena is different because everybody's sitting there. We had all these, you know, of course it goes down to expectations. What expectations did we as fans have coming in? this year or last year or any other year, the last couple of years, we've been able to sort of adjust our expectations based on, Oh, LaMarcus is gone. It's a brand new, it's a brand new team. Oh, like it's our second year. We've got some continuity, but you know, we understand things happen. People are getting injured this year. Everyone came in. It was like, okay, they should be locked in. There should be no excuses. And I can, I can feel the difference in the arena of just like the tension in there. Yeah. In, we started talking about this last week when we had with Dave Dufour on um, in the the apathy, it seems, at times for um, for this team. And like the. Yeah, the, the apathy the, on the team or no, towards the team, towards the team. And it's, it's okay. really weird to have that that idea, that thought, because maybe I don't know how much of this is just you know, going back to the younger years and how everything was better, blah, 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 blah. But I remember, you know, growing up, my family having season tickets and going to games as a kid and that place being so loud that I had to, you know, cut my hands over my mouth and scream during playoff games to, to, to talk to my dad. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember the Utah Jazz series when Brian Grant got his eyebrows busted open by Carl Malone. And I remember the flames being shot up before the game, and you could feel the heat and the like your your the hairs in your arms standing up, and the atmosphere was like that, like leading up to the game, like the the day before, you could feel it in the community. Mm-hmm. And r- right now, like you go around the different forums, the Facebook Blazers Edge, um, Reddit, wherever you go, there's. While people are certainly, certainly they still love this team. There's no doubt about that. But it feels like the the attitude has changed for the first time. I can remember it changing. And remember, you you have to keep me out of the the uh, jailblazer era because I literally wasn't in the country, so mm-hmm. um, I didn't get to experience that. So this is my first time experiencing the 
I, I don't want to. Is it pushback? Um, well, it's weird. I have, I I have this like. I kind of I think I understand the like the direction that you're going, but I think I have um, a sort of different or, or maybe additional layer to it. And I think part of it is our ability now. It's kind of a blessing of and a curse how much immediate information we have before, during, and after games. So we can immediately go back and dive into every single thing, anything that we want to, that we stand out and, you know, thinks was the thing, you know, we think is the thing that derailed the whole course of the game or derailed the team for this thing. Like we can go and we can find it and we can pinpoint it and circle and, and share it on Twitter. And I'm saying we, as like the Royal, we as fans, and we can get all caught up into the minutia where we're so focused in on that one play where, you know, somebody let somebody by rather than taking a step back and, in, you know, and enjoying the whole thing for what it was. Like, for example, take that game last night. We have to talk about last night, right? Wait, are we are we recording? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, okay. we're absolutely on right now. And let's, <laughs> let's remind everybody, the Blazers are on a three-game winning streak right now. Hey, and welcome to the Blazers Edge Podcast, where everything is great. <laughs> Dan, that sounds sarcastic. <laughs> it's just so, okay. like, it just sums up this team right now. Like, everything is, we're sitting here like, okay, at least I am. The Portland Trailblazers had zero, zero business winning that game. They didn't score a, a single basket down the stretch. Kemba Walker's 3 of 12, 7 of 26 for the game. They turned the ball over 19 times. The Blazers did. They shot 50% for the free throw line. as the best free throw shooting team in the league. The number, I, I ran the numbers just on basketball reference just because I was like, I wonder how freaky this occurrence was. Since 83-84, 28 other teams have had 19 or more turnovers and shot 50% or less from the free throw line and won a game. So less than one team a year out of almost 1,300 games a year, a team has been able to pull this off. Okay, but so that's part of my point, Dan, is you were able to like laser focus in on that and pull that out and say, look how horrible that was based on the fact that only 2018 have been worse. You can do that without looking that up. You could look on the court and just go, there's no way (laughs) they should have won this game. They didn't score a single field goal for the last like, what, four minutes? But Dan, I thought it was all about winning. I keep saying that I don't care about winning that much. And then you get all mad at me because you say it's all about winning. It's all about winning. Okay. So last night they won. Like, so why are we mad about that? It's about winning the right way. Oh, now we have to win the right way. Because I also remember a time where everybody was complaining about, or not everybody, but there were people complaining about how they won the first game in such a giant fashion that skewed everything. And we had to spend 25 games talking about how the Phoenix game screwed up all of the stats and they're not really that good. It did. What I'm saying is, is that we're, sometimes we just dig in too deep and we don't stand back and just go, you know what? We shouldn't have won that game, but we did, and I'm going to take it. I Okay, if you want to take it as a singular focus of I'll take that win, sure, I can get behind that. I'm looking more on the 30,000-foot level of what that means to this team. Like, is that, something you, is that something you can build off of? No. Every single one of those guys in the locker room postgame would, would tell you the same thing. If you took those guys and you gave them truth serum, I almost guarantee you, to a man, they would tell you they didn't deserve to win that game. 
that's, they, so that's they, not something. So that's not something you can build off of. That you're not getting confidence from that. I mean, you you look at everybody's stat line from the game, and you're sitting there going, "Yeah, yeah, no, everybody was was great that game." And I mean, it was just, I don't know, it was just really, really funky. I mean. I said post We're going to have to decide. I, I, we're going to have to decide where we come down on the on the side of whether or not it's okay to have bad wins or good losses. Because okay, if you it's can not have, okay to have You can have bad wins, but you just can't have a majority of bad wins. Like <laughs> look at this look at this road trip. How many of these games have been good wins so far? These three straight. Orlando, Miami, and Charlotte. Three teams I don't that, know if it's all about winning then they're all good. I I would disagree to that point. <laughs> I'm 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 like seventy five percent giving you a hard time because I know. I know how much you like but excellence. He, but see, here's the thing: is <laughs> you know how much like, I like. like we want to go chaos. like full, full meta on this, is because the Charlotte game was a perfect example of Damian Lillard the g- creating for others. He had eleven mm-hmm. assists in that game. Like he was slinging the ball left, right, and center, and the Blazers scored a whopping ninety three points. How about instead mm-hmm. of having Damian Lillard try to create for everybody else, how about we go back to the idea of having Damian Lillard be the superstar scorer that he is? What were, uh, what were his uh, shots and attempts last he, night? He how was many seven, attempts did he He was have? 7 of 19. So he had 19. And mm-hmm. that's a little bit less than usual for him? Yeah. All right. Okay. He usually has on like 24, something like 23, that. 23, I think, is what he's averaging. But, I mean, okay. there, there were long stretches of the game where and people can point to, you know, him having an, an off night and Alfred Camino having an off night. Okay, that, that's fine. The Blazers still shot 46% as a team and almost 42% from three and scored 93 mm-hmm. points. Oh, mm-hmm. that's right. That's because they had 19 turnovers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, well, okay. I think we should back it up a little bit and try to uh, put a little bit of uh, structure to this conversation because we could go on and on like this. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going back to those numbers because they're so ridiculously outside the boundaries of mm-hmm. what is not acceptable, but typical. Even mm-hmm. even like the, the, the far outreaches of typical NBA basketball. If you put the Blazers in, this, in the Hornets in those exact situations, in that exact situation, a hundred times, I bet you the Blazers mm-hmm. lose at least 65 of them. Mm-hmm. It, at bare minimum. Yeah, I, I won't argue with you about that. It was just, it was, and I think it was probably more than that, but I'm, I'm being a little optimistic and thinking Dame could maybe his miraculous shots or CJ's ability to hit shots on the stretch. And we're going to talk about CJ and these freaking free throws. Eventually (laughs) this is driving me nuts, man. Okay. Let's, uh, let's start off by, uh, talking about, so they're on, they're on this road trip. How do you feel about the lineups that coach Stotch has been rolling out Lately, one of the things that I've found very interesting is that Evan Turner has been in the starting lineup. He's only started six games this year, including the last five, I think. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on Evan Turner in the starting lineup. If you're going to put Evan Turner out there, put him out there with the most shooters possible. Like that's Uh his his inability or ineffectiveness outside of 15 feet this year is just beyond the the fact that it's terrible it's sad 
Like mm-hmm. you, you kind of feel bad for the guy in a sense because Evan Turner, the dude, is is awesome. I love him. Mm-hmm. Um, and even his skill set when he gets going is it's great. I love it. But the way teams have just adjusted their scouting reports so staunchly away from guys like him and Harkless, mm-hmm. it's it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. Wait, what do you mean how they've adjusted their uh, scouting reports away from them? Do you mem- do you mean like they've just physically the away scouting from reports them. are now just saying ignore them? Ignore, yeah. If Evan Turner or Maurice Harkless are outside of ten feet, they're mm-hmm. ineffective to the point of if they hit five or six of these shots, it doesn't matter. Like it's that that's just the nature of the beast. Like they are getting full on Andre Roberson, Tony Allen treatment, mm-hmm. which is just nutty. And that means there's extra people to double Damon CJ because there's nobody running out on yep. or whoever they're in there with. Okay. But so we do have, like you, like you start off by saying you, you, if you're going to play Evan Turner, play him with as many shooters as possible. I was looking at how uh, Evan Turner does as a starter versus off the bench. And I am curious what you think about, like how much of this has to do with the fact that, you know, who he's playing with off the bench versus who he's, you know, playing with the starters or whatever, but just to run down, um, how Evan Turner has been doing uh, as a starter versus when he was coming off the bench, his field goal percentage as a starter is 51% versus 38 coming off the bench. His uh, offensive rating is 105 versus off the bench, 88. Oh, God. That seems like a really big, yeah. His defensive rating as a starter, 103 off the bench, it was 106. So, so better, I don't know, better, like, better. It's amazing what happens when you put a yeah. player around better players. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to even give you my least favorite statistic. Uh, but I think in this case, plus it minus. might be worth commenting on. Yeah. Plus minus as a starter, he's plus 10.7 and off the bench, he's negative 1.9. Yeah, so how much of that has nutty. to do with just like, yeah, but how much of it has to do with the fact that he's right. Yeah. But also does any of it have to do with him being a better fit with those players? It's, it's both. Cause I don't think he's a great fit with the guys off the bench. No, it's, it's, it's both really. Mm-hmm. Um, he could be great off the bench if he had guys that could hit a shot alongside him. Mm-hmm. Like if you're playing Evan Turner, Alfred Camino and Maurice Harkless, if those three are ever on the floor at the same time and Ed Davis, like if you swap Harkless for Aminu and Ed Davis, you have three absolute non shooters on the floor. You're, it doesn't matter how good of a shooter Pat Connaughton or Shabazz Napier are at that point in time. Like it just the floor space and the way, okay, teams, are very, very smart nowadays. And it's about playing the long game. That's what they, that's what scouting reports do. They're playing the odds. The scouting report says this guy, this guy, and this guy can't shoot. Single cover here, double cover the guys that can, and live with what, what happens. And that's been the MO of, of what Portland has run into this entire season. Now, if you put mm-hmm. Evan Turner in a lineup with C.J. McCollum on one side, Damian Lillard on the other, and Yusuf Nurkic rolling down the middle of the paint, when he catches, and there was actually a play to start the game against, um, against Charlotte or Orlando. I can't remember which one it was now. I think it might have been Orlando. But um, Nurkic caught the ball to the left elbow, and Turner popped up from the paint and caught a dribble handoff on the left elbow with Nurk handing him the ball and immediately setting the screen and got basically his favorite shot in the league, which is that 
you know, 14, 15 footer completely and totally uncontested. And guess what? It went in. So all of a sudden, the, the, the things that you want to take away from him, his post-up game or his ability to facilitate from the mid-range or create a shot off the bounce, those things are all there. Because you, you're more worried about what CJ and Dame and Nurkic are going to do. So now that opens so, things up for everybody else as well in those other areas. So let me ask it this way. Do you think it's something that will continue going forward? How much were you getting out of Maurice Harkless? Uh, let's see. His, hey, his was, numbers. We, we, let, let's not do that to Mo. The answer is, is nothing. <laughs> let's not okay. throw the actual numbers out there. <laughs> because okay. they're, they're bad. Like I, I, I've just kept an eye on him all season. Um, he's gotten back-to-back DNPs after being a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so are you a reluctant yes go forward with Evan Turner right now, get, or get are you an enthusiastic like that's you know Evan? Well, Evan Turner when when he's in the starting lineup, and I think you and uh, Dave touched on this a little bit, you know, Evan Turner being a third ball handler as well, so that Damon CJ can do some more running around to get yeah. free of those doubles. Yeah, absolutely. If all of a sudden, if Evan Turner gets a mismatch on somebody in the paint, you have to help now. You can't just go, mm-hmm. ah, we can just live with that shot. And then the second you help, you've got a, a Nurkic on the backside of the paint on the opposite side, and you've got Aminu in one corner, and he had a bad game against Charlotte, but I think he's been spectacular this season otherwise. And then you've got Dame up top and CJ on the backside of the play. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's an issue now that your team has to deal with. Um, and that's why I think having Aminu, and I know a lot of people want to say, want, want Aminu to play the three. It makes sense, if, especially if Evan Turner is going to start, to have Aminu at the four because you have someone who's even a remotely capable shooter at the four um, on the floor. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. After you talked, you kind of lost me a little bit after you ta- start talking about how amazing Aminu is. Cause I'm pretty sure that there's someone been talking about Aminu as a really positive addition to this team all year. I can't quite yeah, I mean, think of yeah, you, you, you have definitely led is. the Aminu hype and I, I I've been right there alongside you as far as like what he's given to this team. If he's going to give you 40% from three and give you four attempts a night, um, there's no reason. And I think over the last month, he's averaging almost five. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it right now. So since, since November 30th, Aminu is shooting 47% from the field, 50% from three. And he's shooting f- over five threes a game. And he's giving you six rebounds. Do you think he should be getting more shots a game, or do you think it's no. just about right? To me, no, it feels just perfect. about right. It, and that's why I say, people okay, talk about yeah. we need to get him the ball more. No, no, you don't need to get him the ball more. <laughs> and that's not a shot at a menu. It's just his efficiency and his effectiveness is exactly where it should be. If you start mm-hmm. force-feeding guys shots over and over and over, it's the same reason you don't see Kyle Korver. You never saw Kyle Korver getting 25 shots a night. Mm-hmm. same reason you don't see J.J. Reddick getting those shots. Any of these guys, like the only guys that get shots in that volume that are knockdown shooters are legit superstars because they have a, a whole other set of moves that they can go to. In Amino, you still worry when guys close out on him and he has to put the ball on the floor. But he's got a nice one dribble pull up, and I trust him with two dribbles in a straight line to the rim. 
So if he gets he's the space, better. To, yes, it's it's not the wild adventures of Alfred Camino in dribbling every time he puts the ball, the ball on the floor now. So that's that's a yeah. nice change. He also hands it over to Dame or CJ if he gets it at the other end of the court. I have, I have a question about Aminu that we kind of talked a little bit about the other night. In the off season, or you know, for years actually, there's been tons of talks about how you know Portland just needs a three and D guy. We need a three and D guy. I'm looking at Aminu right now and thinking he's the closest thing to a three and D guy. What is it that makes a three and D guy? And do you think in the way you uh, you know, categorize a three and D player. Would you consider Aminu a three and D player? Do you think he's considered one in the league or what else does he have to do to be considered one? Aminu has been a three and D player now for two years in my mind. Okay. The, so you consider him one. He, yes. he hits enough threes yes. to and fulfill that exactly. aspect of it. Um, honestly, if you play enough defense, uh, well, let's start with a three point to me. If you're shooting at least 36%, like 35% is like the bottom line like net return that you can have mm-hmm. and it, with the right amount of volume. If you're shooting at least four threes at 35%, that's the least amount of return that you can have and be a 3 and D guy, in my opinion. Okay. The, only, the only hesitation I have for Aminu as far as being a 3 and D guy, and he is a 3 and D guy, he has positional flexibility, but he's not a guy who's going to go down a bunch of positions. He's a guy that can go down one or two, and he can even move up to the five when necessary. He, he's so big that it's, it's not necessarily a good thing when he goes down and covers ones and twos, if that makes any sense. So you think that he, he's he's better at playing the higher position, you know, Three, the, four, the center, five. the yes. other power forwards, the uh, small forwards. He has more trouble with guards just because of his like his height and his lankiness makes it hard he, for him. Well, just his size in general, like his yeah, he, he has good foot speed and he his lateral mobility is good, but he makes up for any of those shortcomings because his anticipation and his instincts are very very good. We saw mm-hmm. we saw it against Kemba. Mm-hmm. The, the chase down block was was phenomenal, mm-hmm. and it's not like Aminu is uh, LeBron James or even even you know the guy on the other side of that team and Nick Batum, where he just kind of glides down the floor and chases guys down regularly. He anticipated the play and attacked it aggressively, and he's got one hell of a reach. And it was just mm-hmm. mwah, it was a perfect play. It was everything coming together because of the instincts, the the, the natural ability, um, and his his athleticism. Um, well, and what do you think about how they're talking about him, how he got help from Evan Turner on that one? I mean, that those are, you yes, know, Evan was, Turner he, did steer him. Evan Turner kept him from getting to the other side, that, of the, the other side of the rim. There's no doubt about that. Those it's that's I'm just I'm so conflicted about Evan Turner this season because it's those kind of little veteran plays that I really like and appreciate out Evan of him. Evan Turner's a smart and player. I, there's, there's no yeah, doubt then about he, that. He does. And then, you know, what happened with that inbound thing? Like, okay. I mean, he looked he had super just, mad about that. And I don't yeah. know if he was mad at himself or he if was, he was mad, he was at, mad at himself. I, yeah. He thought that Nurk was going to come. Like, I, I think it was, so it was he just CJ. misread which way. Yeah. So shouldn't that be a like drawn up play? Yeah. <laughs> they should be running. Shouldn't they know what they're doing? And Dan that? Sheldon on talking ball talked about it. Um, over the past couple of years, the Blazers really in the Stotts era, the Blazers yeah. have had some of the, been one of the better teams in the, the entire league in after timeout plays. It feels like this year it, it, they're 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 just 
you know, Yosemite salmon themselves just shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again on these out-of-bound plays. And it's, it's, that's another thing we talked about was, like, the ability to win that game. Like, why or how did they win that game considering plays like that were being made? That's how wacky Right, but then there were also plays like – there were, but there were also plays like Aminu's chase down. And then he also, Aminu also had a really nice rebound at the end that saved everything. If he had not gotten his hands on that, yeah. the Charlotte would have had another shot at it. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things we've, we've talked about this game in like so much detail. I don't want to keep going it, it, to over me, it because it, this a, game is like a microcosm of the Blazers season. And I think that's why I'm so yeah. wrapped into it is that so many things could have gone wrong. It somehow they figured it out. Like that's mm-hmm. the Blazers. If you look at all three of these games, there was a good chance that they lose all of them. Mm-hmm. And if they had lost these games, we'd be talking about Portland on an eight game losing streak. Yeah. And instead they're right. on a three game winning streak. And that's, I think, I think that's the, the fine line that this team is walking this entire season. Mm-hmm. Like they just don't have. But you're them. still mad about it, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> you're still mad that they won that game. I am. I, cause I, I keep going back to the whole general <laughs> idea of this team is just is just flawed fundamentally, and that winning mm-hmm. these games in the long run isn't going to do them any favors. I think that's mm-hmm. where my frustration mostly stems from. I see where you're. I see where you're coming from because you know it's like it's it's like if you just are squeaking by and you're getting by like by the seat of your pants all the time, you know, it would be great to like have confidence. I mean, I remember those games where you know Terry Stotts and Terry and uh, or not Terry Stotts, Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler were leading the team and they'd be down. You go into by sixty games a season with the beginning of the fourth quarter, and it would be like. Well, no, but they like dig themselves into a big hole and be like, that's no problem. They got plenty of time. They're coming back. And, you know, like you could understand that other teams went on runs, but our team would definitely match them and would also go on the same kind of run. And back when the uh, trailblazers this year were down in, uh, in Washington and they came back, that was the first time that I was like, oh, they could come back from this. And then they did, and then I got my hopes all up, and then they struggled right after that. So you just can't you can't get too attached to any one game. That's Dwight, kind of what Dwight I James said it like, perfectly the other night uh, in the post game. He, he made a joke about you know making a college career out of getting C's. This Blazers team yeah. is just getting C's right now. Like they're, <laughs> they're just barely passing. Now their record is obviously yeah. above five hundred, but I mean they are literally you know they're a couple coin tosses away from being. And just down on the dregs record wise that, I mean, that's yeah. how close things are. And it's just, it's so weird and both frustrating to be on the positive side of it. When at the same time, you're just sitting here thinking they really shouldn't be. I'm just trying to appreciate it because you never know what's going to happen. You know, everything could like really fall off the rails. And, you know, even if, even if these games, these, you know, games are happening where like you are saying, I am not saying, but you're saying like, they had no business winning that even with all of this stuff happening, there's still interesting things going on. There's still things to learn. There's still things to watch for. And, you know, Hey, bonus, we're getting wins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> so, uh, we could be, part. we could be like 
um, you know, Memphis right now. I mean, they are just struggling, like yes, just mightily. But uh, but they're also looking at probably landing one of the top three prospects in this draft. And yeah, they're maybe those three guys are looking like franchise changers. So that's something always yeah. to keep in the back of the mind. I I see where you're going with that. Okay, <laughs> I'm not, um, not going to go down that road right now. I'm just not going to do it. I know. It's not even I know. Christmas I, yet. I have, Right. We'll, we'll wait for that. I, I got a couple more questions about just sort of the, the lineup lately. Um, that, cause I, I feel like you're going to do this to me, aren't is, you? Yes, I am. Oh God. Take a deep breath. <laughs> so we've seen Zach cons get some significant minutes over the last few games. Yeah, we have. I would like to know what, what do we, what, what have we learned about Zach cons in these last several games where he's seen, uh, action. He moves well and he anticipates defensively very well. What do you mean by he moves well? For a guy who's seven foot tall, he moves very well. He covers ground. He anticipates. Um, he knows where he needs to be. Is that what you're saying? And then he's able to get there in a timely manner? Even if he doesn't know where he needs to be, he gets to where he should be eventually. And that's 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 rookie stuff that I'm not going to beat him over the head with. But... Uh-huh. For everybody who's sitting here championing Zach Collins, he's he's great offensively. No, he's not. He's he's shooting like thirty six percent from the floor. <laughs> he's a great three point shooter. He he's shooting like twenty four percent from the floor. He's he a great a, rebounder. He got a key shot at the end. I mean, he got a <laughs> in a game where the Blazers were struggling down the stretch. He did hit a key three pointer. He did hit uh, a key three. And Charlotte, I, I've seen him in other games where he had like six hitches in his jumper. Um, hmm. Like I said, I don't want to beat up the kid. I don't think he's ready. I don't think he should be out there. I know people, he got 10 rebounds in the game. Go back and literally click on the video for every one of those rebounds. I don't think he had one contested rebound in that entire set. You know, I did that. I watched all of them and there were a few where he had to fight with Ed Davis on them. Oh, but- sorry. <laughs> he had to fight with his teammate to get one. Yeah, so okay, they so, weren't. So everybody punching that line about he pulled down ten rebounds. Literally anybody who was in the vicinity could have had that rebound, but he got it. Yeah, okay, great. But he's not out there as this dynamic rebounder that's just taking over the backboards. They're literally gifting it. Honestly, and this is gonna just sound like I'm picking on him now. I think that some of the guys are letting him get them to get his confidence going, and I don't think that's a bad idea. Right, because you've been very concerned about him getting too many minutes too early and having his confidence be shaken. Do you see any signs that his confidence is being shaken? Um, when David West spiked him to the floor like a volleyball, definitely saw some confidence shaken. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. There was the – who was That's it? That's one example. There was the – he had a spin move against Charlotte. Um, I can't remember who he was on. He spun to the middle and got – an open shot, and then he missed the layup by about three feet to the left. Um, and then I saw him shaking his head as he was going up and down the floor. Um, and then he had a baby hook against Orlando, I want to say. It was Orlando or Miami, but he backed somebody down and left the hook a foot and a half short. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there were, there, everything really boils down to confidence, strength, um, strength, um, strength and strength. 
so so while let me ask you this: while Nurkic and Myers were both out, why do you think that Stotts went to Collins and that Swanigan didn't to, see any time? Honestly, I'm not certain. Maybe he wanted the flexibility defensively that Collins gives you because Collins moves better than Swanigan. There's no doubt about that. I, I have no no qualms of admitting that whatsoever. Um, it's maybe they, the thought is that he could shoot, but just watching him on the floor, other teams, it's not it's not necessarily a shot at him. They just he's a rookie and they don't care. They look at him and they treat him the same way that they treat Harkless or, or Aminu. They're going to leave him mm-hmm. wide open until he is a track record of knocking down shots, and we really haven't seen that. Um, his screens for the most part have been ineffective, but he's, you know, 210, 215 pounds and still a kid. Um, so when you, when you hold up on the screens for a minute, because I was watching his screens and I agree that his screens are not strong at all. Are they, yeah. um, it's hard to, to be me, when, you, when, I, when you're, when you're just, right. you're not he's strong. Not a, he's not a, he's He's not a big guy, so I didn't see them strong. But I did see a number of them where I thought were well-timed and well-placed because they ended up in him getting a nice little pocket pass or being available for a nice little pocket pass. I mean, I think he's got good instincts. He has the instincts to set a instincts. pick and roll, pick and pop. There's no doubt about that. But none of that matters if you can't set a screen to begin with. You could have all the instincts and, and, and intelligence in the world in that aspect. Um, I, I will absolutely agree that he does – he does, and then again, it's this again. It, it, a lot of this fundamentally comes back to movement and and instincts. Like he has those things appear to be there, but the requisite strength, size, toughness, tenaciousness, all the stuff that comes with being a big in five years, he has none of that yet. Um, I that, think and, and, that he's and, got more than you think that he has. There, I I'm have, not saying I that have I yet think to that see, he, and I, again, I, I, these are things that I expect it to be. He's a 19-year-old. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not. This is what I expect. And the thing is, he's. I don't want to say underdeveloped, but he's not a a full-grown man yet. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at if you, if you watch college basketball at all, look at DeAndre Ayton. He looks like David Robinson. Mm-hmm. Like that's LeBron James when he came out. Like these are guys that came in the league as full-grown men, and that's a uh-huh. rarity. And that's why it usually takes um, bigs to come in uh, a few years to come in the league. I mean, even Myers Leonard um, was still pretty pretty lean when he came in the league, but he even he was bigger than than Zach. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just going to take a few years for that to happen. And you're going to continue to see guys push him around, get him off his spot, uh, not allow him to get to where he want to be, where he wants to be. Uh, his screens will continue to be ineffective. And that's just the nature of the beast. Like, he, he has to physically grow. Like, the, the, he has to get stronger. He has to, he has to get thicker. He has to get bigger. And he has to get tougher in order to be everything that he can be. And, again, those aren't, again, shots fired at Collins. It's just the nature of the beast. He's just not mm-hmm. physically there yet. As far as I can tell, your biggest concern is that is, is his youth and his size and that he needs to grow and he mm-hmm. needs to, you know, be physically bigger, Things physically stronger. Things that Things you can't that he, learn through the season. It's just it's just a matter right. of time of getting there. And that's why I don't want to see him necessarily thrown out to the wolves, because what happens is, is what David West did to him in that Golden State game. 
Yeah. Well, okay. It, it was Golden State and it was David West. But I mean, there's, there's guys like that all up and down every, every roster in the league. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I under, I, I'm not going to say I understand exactly what's going on because I, I have people keep asking me, why are they playing Collins and not Swan again? Why are they playing Collins and not Myers? And I don't know the, the answer. The Myers I have thing I think theories. is because he's still sick. The Swanigan thing, maybe there's something going on in practice that we're just not seeing. So that was that was one of my things that is I think that, yeah, we don't know what's going on in practice. And maybe Collins is just balling out in practice yeah. and coach wants to give him time and coach is like, we're going to give you some extended time. And then later on after, you know, Biggie shows some stuff, then or he'll give Biggie the same treatment. And yeah. Thought, his thoughts is just trying to see what sticks to the wall. Right. Well, and Dwight James had an interesting point at the um, uh, talking ball or whatever show they, they'd play right after the blazer game. He was saying that at this point, uh, Terry or, or the organization might want to, sorry, Coach Stotts. I always call him Terry. That's so embarrassing. Coach Stotts and the organization, uh, because of the situation that they're going into next year with, um, you know, Ed Davis being done with his contract, Nurkic being, you know, a restricted free agent, they really need to see what they have in this center. And Dwight James's point was that maybe at this point they feel like they know what they have in Myers. Myers has shown and they really need to get Zach Collins out there so they can see what they have in Zach Collins right now, just to give them a good measurement of where they are. I mean, it makes you sense. Think that's at all a, possible. No, it absolutely makes sense from a financial standpoint, especially if you're gun shy after handing out money to Turner, Crab, Harkless and Leonard about handing 17, 18 to up to 20 million to Nurkic. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, let's, let's just say a hypothetical here. Nurkic rolls his ankle again sometime in the season. He only plays like 55, 60 games. Mm-hmm. Like that, that basically goes down as like Nurkic hasn't played a single se- full season in, in his entire rookie career, his entire rookie contract. Mm-hmm. So are you really comfortable giving him that max contract? If you don't know the guy behind him, possibly because if Ed Davis leaves, Collins is probably the next guy in to fill that type of position. Um, kind of your flex power forward center. If you aren't mm-hmm. comfortable with him, do you need to bring somebody in as a veteran free agent to fill in Ed Davis's spot? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you can kind of see why they might be playing him right now. Um, I get it. I disagree with it, but I, I can, I can understand what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, All right. the whole idea is that it, it, we've talked about, you know, off offline, off the podcast is, um, I, I don't think he should be getting minutes. Okay. Here, here, here's the, the, the whole synopsis of it. And this goes back to the whole 30,000-foot idea. What is the goal for this season? Mm-hmm. Is it to develop, guys? Is it to win? I mean, where, where do you fall into that category? Because Zach Collins has not done anything so far this season other than be a developmental guy. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was on the floor that led a quasi-comeback against Golden State. But he wasn't doing anything out there that was staggeringly amazing. You know, where he was leading the company. He was just on the floor and offered some versatility. Mm-hmm. So so what is it that you're hoping to pull out of this season? And I think that's where my frustration, where a lot of this stuff kind of... The, the, the winning these games in the fashion they're doing, the rotations, um, dropping games that they shouldn't drop, uh, the the... 
the message just isn't clear as far as like what they're ultimately trying to achieve. And I think it feels mm-hmm. like more than anything that, hey, 41, 42 wins is, is fine. And that's, that's, that's where we're going get, to get to uh, one way or the other. And I just I hate that mentality. Right. No, I, 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 get, I get where you're coming from. And I know that you've been trying to figure out and trying to identify what the uh, identity for this team is. And it's been really hard. We still hard don't know. We still don't know what this of, identity is. Right. You've been talking about how, like, the one thing that you can count on is the inconsistency. And, you know, they can be they can be like the top of the league at one thing and the very bottom of the league of another thing. It's, you know, wildly inconsistent in that way. I have a, I'm going to throw an idea out there for the possibility of what their identity could be. And I think they should like really lean into it. And that is mayhem. I love, I think it's just, I think it's just mayhem. Like we don't, I, I think like last night's game was the perfect example of you just don't know what's going to happen and you just have to write it out. And I think that means that we're going to be developing players. I mean, that's the, the blazers are going to have, a real tough time, you know, in the playoffs, considering how much strength, you know, is there is in the West in the top. Half, we got it. They sure. got it. They got it right in the top of the West. I mean, Houston is just like, I, I jaw dropping <laughs> the way that they're playing yeah, right now. They're undefeated with Chris Paul, the Warriors, not still to mention Warriors. that other team who we won't mention yeah. Spurs now have Kawhi, Kawhi back. I so mean, it's, it's a really, what else really is the team supposed place. to do besides develop players this year? Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. And that's why if you're going to develop, go full development. Like mm-hmm. why, why, why would, why play Collins over Swanigan when you can play both? When you can play both. Yeah. Sure. I just, well, cause you got a lot of money sitting on there. <laughs> okay. I think we need to move on to another topic. Altogether, you have any last words to say on this road trip so far? I just, I, I think Minnesota is going to no, be really tough. Yeah, uh, I think that's a find some really to, tough matchup for that, the Blazers. That game's going to go like completely sideways, and then Portland will find a way to win it because Minnesota has been choking <laughs> games left, right, and center. Like that, yeah. you want to talk about teams that don't make any sense? That that team has just been weird. Well, right. And OKC, too. I mean, there's a, there's a few teams out there that should be doing a lot better than they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, Oklahoma City has just been. I mean, that's that's a tire fire. The, yeah, they're they're yeah. either. And I'm I'm of the opinion that either there's going to be one magical moment where everything clicks and they figure it out, or it's just going to be a complete and utter disaster for the rest of the season. And one of those guys ends up getting moved before the trade deadline. But I just I just feel like it's going to different story. Right. I, I feel like it's got to click into place. I'm just shocked that it hasn't yet. But but you brought up the trade deadline, and that was the other topic that I wanted to cover tonight because mm-hmm. December December 15th is kind of the uh, unofficial start of trade season because on December 15th, Everybody's a great available. deal of the league, not everybody, but 90%. a great deal of yep. them all become available. So, yeah, December 15th, it was it's like players who signed a contract with a new team, uh, are now available for trade and Portland didn't have anybody who falls into that category. So there was, didn't, didn't mean anything for the Portland, but it opens up a whole bunch of other players in the league. So 
I don't want to go deep into like any specific trade proposals right now. I'd like to step back a little bit. This is the step back episode where we're just taking the 30,000 foot view of everything. Um, and I want to uh, kind of talk about broad strokes about uh, trade proposals and things that happen during the trade season. So there's a, like, there's a significant change this year, I think to the, uh, to the trades. And that is the deadline is significantly before the all-star break. Yep. The deadline is going to be February 8th this year. So like uh, 10 days, I think before the all-star game, they have to have everything done. That means in the run up to it, like they're not going to have that little period of calm during all-star break to figure it all out. They got to have it all done well before all-star break. Yeah. And that's, so, that's a weird position to put teams in because now there's a tighter window for teams to make the decisions. Before it was you right. know, it was the All Star yeah. break, and um, you could even see deals done at the during the All Star break. You know mm-hmm. that was that was not uh, right. Wasn't a, well, we a saw that last thing, year yeah, with Boogie. <laughs> exactly. So teams have to make a decision whether they're going to chase or they're going to retool. Like mm-hmm. if, if you're going to make deals at the All Star or at, at the trade deadline now, um, you've got to do it sooner. But it's harder to do that because you don't have as many games under your belt because the amount of games isn't available available to be played by that point. It's Um, not going to be that big of a discrepancy this year, though, because they did start start the season a week earlier. So, I mean, it's still going to be, you know, you want all the data that you can possibly get, and there's still going to be a little bit less available. So, and that's really the the difference between making a run and not making a run. And by by a run, Mm -hmm. I mean winning five in a row or five of seven, seven of 11, something along those lines or losing seven of 11, you know, something, a a definitive answer to one of those teams in the middle of the pack in either conference that, you know, or an injury here or there that goes, okay, pack it up for the season. We're good because Mm -hmm. not every franchise has the same goals when it comes to um, the end of the season every single year. That's such a diplomatic way of saying it, Dan. I'm so impressed. <laughs> it, I mean, it is. It's just, it's just no. Some, it's true. It's some true. Teams people care look about and go, okay, money. Which way are we going to go? Yeah, some teams care about money and the bottom and the bottom dollar uh, at the end of the season. Some care about rebuilding. Some care about building towards a title. Some just don't care. Apparently, I mean, you look at so the way some of these organizations are run sometimes, and you're sitting there wondering what exactly the goal is. And I think that's some of the sometimes the problem is that the goal isn't clear. Um, so you, you get these weird positions that pop up, uh, especially some of some of these Eastern Conference teams that have been in the bottom for so long, like Orlando. Like, what are they? What are they doing? Or what have they been doing? They've mm-hmm. just imagine like right now if if the best version they've of been giving away players, all their players yeah. to Neil Olshay well, <laughs> until last this. year. The best version of their players, like right now, if they had kept them, they would have had Victor Oladipo, this Victor Oladipo, and Sabonis. Oof. Think about that team right now. That's that's right. a good team. That's a really good team. Instead, mm-hmm. you've got Bismack Biombo locked up for eighteen million a year, seventeen million a year for a couple more years. Um, Terrence Ross's deal locked up. Um, they're going to get lucky and with Eric, with Aaron Gordon turned into a stud, but you know how how they deal with him and how they work forward with him um, still remains to be mm-hmm. seen. But again, what, what's their goal as a franchise? Like, what are they hoping to accomplish? And I think you can you can do that and ask that question to, you know, thirty teams in the or 29, 28 teams in the league. 
Houston. We all know what, what Golden State's role is. We all know what, I think, at this point, what Houston and Cleveland are at. So 27 mm-hmm. teams, 26, if you want to throw the Spurs in there. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, that, so, that's, that's just kind of the nature of the beast right now. So when I get ready to fire up the trade machine, because I'm going to do that this year, I'm going to come up with some fa- fantabulous the trade one proposals. Rule. The one rule what you have to remember. What do I need to know? The one rule you have to remember. There doesn't have to be a winner in every trade. Mm-hmm. Um, both teams can lose. One team can win. One team can lose. Both can win. Those rarely happen, though. Um and the other thing is you have to get or give value to get value. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you love Evan Turner and you want to trade him, you are not going to trade Evan Turner and Zach Collins for DeMarcus Cousins. Right. Like, that's just not going to work. Oh, he's on a, he's on a rookie deal. Like, that, that doesn't matter. Like, you have to give value to get value. And that's the same both ways. Um, and you have to understand that, that sometimes players are their perceived value and their actual value to different franchises are varied. Take Yusuf Nurkic last year. The Denver Nuggets were willing to give away a first-round pick with Yusuf Nurkic in order to facilitate his move. Now, the Phoenix Suns had no leverage with Eric Bledsoe, yet they were still able to, to get something of value out of the Milwaukee Bucks. It, it all depends on the the point in time where everything kind of comes together. And that's where you're kind of hoping for one of these magical trades if you're Portland. Um, so looking at the, at the uh, you know, who's available on Portland's team, everybody, I guess, technically, um, what, you know, give me a rundown of who you think has the most value or most, maybe not value, but most potential to be involved in a trade. Ed Davis. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a going perfect, to somebody who's, who's a making a run and a needed. Big, yeah. Somebody, somebody's big gets hurt along the way. And that's a, that's a throw another thing to the Warriors, but um, I can't remember if they have 14 or 15 on their roster, but let's say this, they, one of their bigs gets put on IR. They could mm-hmm. use an injury exception, um, and I believe it would be enough to pick up a move for a guy like for Ed Davis if they move somebody like Patrick McCall in return. Um, so, I mean, it's and some, what would Patrick McCall bring in? I mean, you're, you're just talking about a wing asset for Portland. It would probably be Patrick uh-huh. McCall and like a second round pick or something like along those lines. I think McCall uh-huh. is a free agent, but you would then have his, his bird rights um, that would come along with him. Um, and I think that's the kind of deal that if you're Portland, if you're looking to move Ed Davis, you, you're getting a either a, a mid to late first round pick or somebody else on an expiring deal, and you want to get their rights. Um, just because the, the the amount of money available this summer is probably going to drive the price down on some of these restricted free agents, mm-hmm. and you're gambling that you can afford to do that and make enough moves necessary to, to justify um, giving away Davis. Either that or you're just trying to load up on assets and hope you can hit another home run in the draft. So the Blazers next year have four players who are, I believe, going to be restricted. I think that's what, what I'm saying. So we've got Pat Connaughton, uh, Shabazz, Nurkic, and Noah Vonley. 
I think they were all part of that same draft class. And so, you know, what's the value of, of those types of contracts? Um, Vonley could be somebody that uh, he's probably next on my list. If somebody out okay. there still thinks that he has another gear in him, cause he's still young. There's no doubt. He's mm-hmm. still young. He's never right. close to his prime. Um, so he could still possibly figure it out. And I think he's shown with Portland, he can do two things really well. He can be a flex defender at the four or the five, and he can rebound the hell out of the ball. Mm-hmm. And those are both valuable commodities. I mean, it took Ed Davis a few years in the league to figure out if he did, if he just did those two things that he could make decent money and become a valuable asset to an NBA team. And I think Von Lake could be in that same kind of category with more size and athleticism and probably more offensive skill if he ever kind of clicks it all together. So if somebody thinks that he could probably figure it out um, and they're willing to pay him um, as a restricted free agent and willing to give up an asset to get him, um, you could see something like that coming together. Um, Napier is probably another guy who should be running as a backup point guard around the league. He's probably one of the better backup point guards in the league as far as, uh, I don't know about necessarily running your offense, but... um, dictating pace and being a lead guard, a scoring guard. Um, he can set guys up for sure, but he's, he's he can come more, in and get buckets. Exactly. And he, he can lead your, your second unit too. I think if you have another, um, ball handler out there with him where he it can kind of split duties, um, much like Damon CJ kind of do. Um, I think Napier is, in, I don't want to say a poor man's version of that, but I think he's in that same kind of mold. Uh-huh. Um, Connaughton, I think, will end up staying here if he stays in the league. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't, if he doesn't opt to go play baseball, um, I, I think he ends up staying here, and I think he has a role here. Uh, I think it all ultimately it comes down to well, I mean, he's a restricted free agent, so it ultimately comes down to money. I just don't think anybody's going to throw a crazy deal at Pat Connaughton. I think a lot of teams have learned um, the value of guys like him. Um, and going way overboard to throw those kind of deals out there. So if I, I, I don't unless unless Pat's deal helps facilitate something else, and the, the return is great, I don't see him being included because as a shooter, he's fantastic for the the, the value and the price and probably the expected price of what he's going to get in the off season. And Portland just can't afford to give those guys away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see. We, you and uh, Dave talked about. Uh, I, I think you'd brought it up about how Portland two years ago kind of fig- decided which path they were going to be on. That was the analogy that you talked about. You mm-hmm. said, you know, when they when they put out all those money for all those big contracts, they chose the path that they were going on. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how, you know, when you're on your on a path that you have like three choices. You can stay on the path and go wherever it's going to go. You can get off the path and take the risk of, you know, getting lost, getting completely out of your way, or also the risk of, um, you know, ending up somewhere terrific. Or you can stay in place and hug a tree and wait for someone to come and rescue you. <laughs> which which direction do you think it is most likely that the the Blazers will take? Uh, you know, going into this trade season and then also I mean, in the it, off season. It's, it's Portland, so it's tree hugger. 
You don't think they're going to just can, can keep walking down the path? I no, kind of I think they're just going to keep walking down the path because that's what they I, said they're going to do, honestly, and that's what they're going to do. It, it's tongue in cheek when I when I say trigger, but and that's not a shot at the Portland organization. I think the vast majority of organizations in the NBA do the same thing when they get to a spot like this, because if you go full rebuild, or if you ditch your assets or whatever you try to do, you're probably costing yourself a job. Mm-hmm. If you Try something crazy and swing for the fences. If it fails, you're costing yourself a job. So maintaining the status quo is the safest. It's the safest bet, and that's that's. I think that's human nature. Like whatever, I mean, mm-hmm. me and everybody else who wants to question Neil O'Shea and every other GM in the league, the ultimate idea of, of asking these guys to risk their job to make a move. Granted, I don't like a lot of the decisions that the NLSHA has made, I, I was, particularly in free agency. I, I just don't. I, I'm on record as saying that. But sitting here and, and demanding that he make a deal that's going to cost him his actual livelihood. Um, you can understand why he's not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> right. I, I would love to be able to say if I was in his spot, I would do this, this, and this. Really? I would do this, this, and this if I... Uh, if it was if I knew that there was a better than fifty percent chance that this could blow up my face, I mean, I don't know. That's tough. I mean, I'm pretty risky, but even I like my money. Yeah, <laughs> you like to know where your I mean, where your I'm, next meal is coming yeah, from. Yeah, I mean, Paul Allen's checks cash every single time. It's tough to mm-hmm. say no to that. So. There's a couple of there's some big names out there that people are talking about, uh, you know, from other teams. I don't know that Portland is necessarily in the conversation with them because they're mostly big guys, but guys like DeAndre Jordan, Marcus All. What do you think the likelihood of them being moved before the trade deadline? I think Gasol's very good. I think DeAndre Jordan's very good. Um, the likelihood of them yeah. being moved? Yeah, uh, I think there's there's good chances, and I mean. Do you think Portland would do anything uh, so risky as trading away Nurkic at the at the deadline? For Boogie? Yeah. For Gasol? What about for DeAndre Jordan? De- no. Two you one don't di- think so? Too one-dimensional. Too one-dimensional. Okay. Um, and Dame does, doesn't take advantage of DeAndre Jordan's best asset offensively, which is diving to the rim How- and catching lobs. Oh God! I would. I just want somebody who can catch lobs. Oh, DeAndre, and throw DeAndre does it. There's, there's no doubt about oh, it. I know it really does. It's just that's just it, not in Dame's bag. It's not to say he can't throw a lob. It's just not in his bag to be that guy. It's just a reminder of, to me about how much I love those and how infrequently they happen. Yeah, Portland. <laughs> that's really, like, if you, like, the only guy in recent Portland memory who threw lobs was. Andre Miller, and the you could say Mason Plumlee was a lob catcher, but even then it's kind of meh. But uh, Greg Oden, in the few games that he played, was the last time we had somebody who, like, who when rolling down the middle, struck the fear of God in you when he was catching mm-hmm. the ball above the rim. Now, granted, that was once you know every three seasons, but <laughs> it was still the ability and the threat of that was huge, but it was because it could be reciprocated on both ends. Um, kind of no. like LeBron against uh, Brooke Lopez the other night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Brooke Lopez had a really bad quarter. 
rim checking <laughs> the alley oop, airballing two free throws. I, that's that's just a case of you know just I don't know if it was the yips or if he just you know he she was channeling his brother there. Um, yeah, that was yeah that, was, that was just, just a, happens. It was just a bad quarter. I mean, it happens that I think everybody just more often right. than not for pros, it just happens during practice and we never see it. Um, well, let's wrap up the, uh, the, this trade talk and, and let me tell me on a scale of one to a hundred, how likely do you think it is that the Blazers make any kind of a trade at all uh, before the deadline? See, now this is difficult because if you're to believe, because you're trying to think about it, I would, I always just like give my gut or small no, gut no. answer. Like I, I have, I have two gut instincts, but one is based on something happening or not happening. And that's on, if the blazers, if they fall apart at all, and I would never say want this in a million years, but if Terry Stotts is removed as head coach, then I'd say that the chances of them making a deal are near a hundred percent. Because they're but would that be a deal to like break it all up, get under you I know, don't free think up it as would much be that money crazy. as possible? I don't think it would be that crazy, but I think they would try to move at minimum Evan Turner's contract. I think they would try to move one of the deals, which maybe would require Nurkic. Um, but again, we're talking about extremes here, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't think... I, yeah, I just can't imagine Terry Stotts... Do you, do you really think he... Do you think he is in, in trouble? I'm having a hard time I trying to figure that out. I think these last couple games have saved the momentum from going really heavy to the negative. But yeah. they haven't won any of these games convincingly either to where those that are really railing against it have anything to, to back off on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, this, this schedule is about to get just stupid dumb. Like it just mm-hmm. it gets painfully brutal. Uh, we've we've talked about it, Blazers Edge. You know, I, I outlined everything over the next couple of weeks, um, and it's ugly. And mm-hmm. if they find themselves four or five games under five hundred, and they lose horribly, like they did it during that homestand, in a bunch of those, I think the momentum is already built up behind some of this negativity that it could happen. And, as, and this is the first time I can remember this saying started, that. Yeah, it's the first time in a long time where we've actually thought it could possibly be in the like, discussion. The fact that, like, it's even, like, the, even the slightest inklings of it, like, I've heard stuff like this before, but I always just kind of kicked it to the side. Like, there's no way in hell that that is even close to possible. But just talking to people that I've, I've talked to around the league, um, the reality of it being something that could happen. Is mm-hmm. like, it's finally touching within the bounds of, yeah, it could if X, Y, Z, and everything else happens, which mm-hmm. is very different from saying it's going to happen or it's could happen. I think we're just in the realm of possibility where the thought could happen now. So I think it's still a very long way away, but in the NBA, things can change quite rapidly. The narrative can just gather ahead of steam and just screw with everything. Uh, that's that's really true. So I was listening to the uh, Ben Golliver Open Floor uh, podcast. Shout out to Ben uh, from from last week or the week before, um, and they were talking. And he he made a really interesting comment where he said the worst thing for Dallas right now is that one of the things that's really hard for Mark Dallas Collins right now is, is that they 
as if they have a great coach who refuses to lose. And that that made me think of Memphis. And not that I'm saying this is what happened, but for everybody who was so shocked about what happened in Memphis, maybe that somehow figured into the management decision where they were like, David Fisdell is going to hang on and try to drive this team to as many wins if you're going as to trash we a season, can get. If you're going to trash a season, you have to fire the coach. Right, no right. Ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah. The only way that you can get away with not doing that is if you just have injuries up and down your roster. Mm-hmm. That that's the only way you can get away, and those are right. So and everybody is and coming far, back. Yeah, and so there's so few and so far you don't between. want to blow it up, right? Yeah, but yeah. otherwise you have to get a new voice in there because that right. voice that's been in there has been building a culture, building a whether they're a winner or not. Every coach in the league is just like every player. They're playing for their next, or they're coaching for their next paycheck. Mm-hmm. And that's the most base thing you can say about it. But you're never going to have a coach that's going to be okay with losing, even in Brett Brown's situation. He's still hoping these guys win as the Sixers, but he was given subpar talent on the lowest level. Now we see him with, you know, good talent with this Philadelphia team, lo and behold, Brett Brown looks like a pretty decent coach, right? So right. you're, you're building this idea of wanting to always give everything, always to win. Um, when the management and the organization shifts the idea away from winning being paramount, you have to change the messenger. Otherwise, nobody's going to listen to that coach because everything that he has now said is just hypocritical. Right, and everyone's going to be even more miserable yeah. <laughs> on top of and you're on top have of losing. Then they're going to be even more miserable. Else. Yeah. So yeah. make the coach the scapegoat, or make even the GM the scapegoat, or the owner the scapegoat by firing the coach. Mm-hmm. Because even if all the players they're angry at, at, at a GM, like, let's say the Grizzlies, they're 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 livid at the GM for firing Fizdale, which I mean I'm, I'm certain there's probably a fair amount that are. They're not going to be mad at the next coach that comes in. They're not going to look at him like a, like a scab. You know, J.B. Bickerstaff um, could end up being a guy that they really love and they want to play for. Um, that's why you always see the interim coaches um, get kind of a boost. That team gets a boost and they win a few games. It's because right, because it's usually right show... before they play the Portland Trailblazers. Well, that's true, too. But they, 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 the players want to show that, oh, hey, it was the coach's fault. It wasn't us because they're, they're playing for a paycheck. Right. And that's what it all fundamentally okay, well, this is what stuff is... comes down to a lot of a lot of the time is that kind of idea of everyone's competitive and everybody wants to play for the for their next for their next deal. And that's just a base feeling. That's that's not a, a bad thing or a negative thing. It's just that's the the fundamental idea of wanting to be a professional. Right. Okay, well this is sliding into depressing territory and last week was depressing enough. So we have to end <laughs> on a high note, Dan. <laughs> Hey, That's my challenge was, to was, you. It was not my fault. Dave Dufour took it and, and, and made it even more depressing than I normally do. I cannot leave you two alone together ever again. <laughs> I, I listened to the I listened to it twice and he just kept saying, Oh, this is so depressing. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, this can't be happening. I left a note. I you had gave you specific instructions. There was there was no there, there was nothing about being depressed or not. That was just that was just how it was gonna go. So what's your positive well, note? What's your positive note? Give me come on. I wasn't prepared to have one. I mean, 
Okay, the Blazers have won three straight and they have a chance to go four and one on this road trip. That's a that's a good thing if you're looking holistically at this Blazers team. And they also have a lot of road games coming up. And I really am. The more I think about it, the more I think these road games the are good for them. The less you want them at home. <laughs> well, no, but I think it's good for them. I mean, when you look at it, like, you know, they, it seems like a small thing and it seemed insignificant, but they didn't have their, you know, bonding trip at the beginning of the year. They just all showed up and started working, right? It's, you know, they didn't have that time where they got to get together and really focus on each other away from everybody. And I, I, I think that they, they missed it. And, you know, I don't think that's the whole reason that Is they that didn't come Dan out. Is that why gave up and, on vegan? Not everybody's perfect, man. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I would I would smash on I salt, salt bay short ribs I, too. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he's completely falling off the wagon. I don't know where we are on this. I don't know what the current status I, is. I, I don't want know to know what Dame eats just... before every game so I could check his vegan to to actual protein, like meat consumption, and get get a point value off off of what you know what diet is producing better. <laughs> well, we'll have to get somebody uh, to follow him around. I don't know. I, I think oh, that's not a, that's another not positive. You know, what? I, I here's a positive note. I really like how Nurkic got his haircut and he's like growing in the full on beard. That works for him. He, he is embracing the, the lumberjack mentality of Portland. There's there's no it, doubt about it. That that works for him. So that that's that's a positive thing. You know, he's coming into his own in that. Um you know, it was nice to see him back on you, the You can't floor. have a second beautiful butterfly. You already have a butterfly. I know. So Aminu, okay, there we go. Thank you. Uh, watching Ed and Aminu this year has given me a lot of pleasure. I have to say that I love it when role players kind of have breakout seasons and they play beyond what is expected of them. And I really think both Ed and Aminu are doing that this year. You know, I've always loved Aminu. I've always loved the adventure of him. Um, but I, And I've always appreciated, you know, Ed's... His intensity, I've always just loved how he goes after rebounds. Like, you know, like they're personally insulting him if he doesn't get them. And, mm-hmm. I, and I really like how that's going together. And But what I've noticed this season, and we'll end on this, I've seen a, a, a more lately of Ed and uh, um, Al Farouk Aminu playing together. And I've been tracking this for like the last five games and how many minutes they've been playing together. And it's been slightly increasing. And I think... It works. I think the two of them complement each other really well because they don't get in any get in each other's way. You know, Aminu is shooting. Ed's getting the rebounds. They're both playing effective defense. And when you put them in with that three guard lineup, and the three guard lineup that I'm talking about isn't necessarily Dame, CJ, and uh, Shabazz. The one I'm talking about is McCollum, Shabazz, and Connaughton. I like that lineup with um, Davis and Aminu. You know, I don't want to see it like, you know, 25 minutes a night or anything, but I think it's a nice little second unit that can come that, that has some um, things going for it that makes it hard on other teams. So that is my positive thing is that the, the unit that I've been watching and keeping my eye on seems to be prospering. And so that is what I'm going to end my pod. Do you, what do you think about that lineup? Do you think that's just like me, you know, and well, I my think two it's guys, guys that understanding really their roles and then having good supplemental performances around them, just like Evan Turner playing with the starters. If you get production, enough production in enough areas around those guys, 
then yeah, they're going to be allowed to shine. And I think that's really been the, the, the story of Portland season is supplemental production or lack thereof in, in, in instances. Um, so but yeah, it really makes a difference yeah, when they do. So, so when those guys are able to, to check more than one or two boxes, then yeah, they can absolutely shine. And I also feel like barring injury that uh, the rotations have settled down a little bit recently. Um, you know, maybe that's because some of the injured players have come back. Aminu as well again, but I, I feel like it's less of a, like, just throw somebody out there and see what's will stick. I feel, I mean, you, I think probably would take exception to Collins in that. And I'm, I, I actually am surprised to see Collins. I wish that we were getting more Myers minutes, but for the most part, I kind of see it settling down. Unfortunately for Mo Harkless, that's been Mo Harkless on the bench and yeah, DMPs, getting DMPs, which is, which is a bummer. And it's been a lot less of Vonley too. And, you know, I really like to see Vonley play. He's been playing less, but he comes in and he, you know, he, he produces when things you know, start at least making on defense sense, when he that's, comes in, that's when you know it's time to run. Like <laughs> with this team, like so when things start making sense, it just run for the Hills. I think that's, that's the, the lesson to take from the past like three weeks because it, none of it does. Four and one on the road, zero oh and four at home. Now a chance to go four and one on the road again. Like, I, I bet you if you run the numbers on that, no team in NBA history has ever done that before. It's just I don't know why that brings too, me so much pleasure. It's, it's just, just so, so twisted. Wonky. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. So I, I think that's that's what we're going to end on is that you know all roads lead to nowhere with Portland. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not the not the upper that I was hoping for, but let's also let's uh let's talk about Blazers Edge night and remind Absolutely. folks that we are uh they can still donate tickets to Blazers Edge. I just did um uh five uh, five tickets uh, donated because, um, I did that on the night that they played the team from the Bay area. And I said, if I said the name of the team from the Bay area, I would donate extra tickets. And I didn't because I'm getting so good at that. So now I have to come up with a different challenge, um, in order to donate some more tickets to the Blazers edge, but folks can go to the Blazers edge website and follow the instructions on how to donate tickets for Blazers edge night. And I'm not sure how much longer they're going to be, uh, taking those donations. Yeah, so we're people should just go ahead and take care of that. Now. down the stretch and i believe at last count dave said he had 1300 tickets that have already been spoken for out of the 2000 and then i'm talking about 1300 that are spoken for by the groups that are going to use them out okay of the, out of the 2000 i believe that was the last count so um they're filling up very quickly and then this is this is when we start getting the donations to really start coming in is the holiday season and then into early january like this is the final real big push um to, to really kind of make it happen. Uh, so if you can donate, please do. Uh, tickets, I believe, are 9 to $11. Is that, the, is that what they are at this, this year, Tara? I feel like they go up to 13 So it's up to, up, up to 13 So, But it's if you've got the ability to make it happen, to donate one, to donate 100 whatever you can do, please do. It's an absolutely awesome thing to see happen. Uh, the stories that come out of Blazers Edge Night, which Dave usually recants a, a bunch of them, um, in the post game write up from that night um, is probably the most heartwarming and endearing thing that we get um, as people who work um, for Blazers Edge. It's it's an absolutely awesome experience. So yeah, everybody get your uh, get those donations made uh, for those uh, sending those kids and their chaperones to the game on February 27th against the Sacramento Kings. Dan, you want to tell folks where to find you on social media? Yes, well they can find me on social media at D Morang. That's Danny Morang. 
um, as, as it's apparently sticking now. They can also find me uh, as the newest co-host of Blazers Outsiders on NBC Sports Northwest every non-game night at 7 p.m. on Facebook. Um, and look for that to have some updates and changes coming soon, too, as well. Uh, I alluded to, to some news a few weeks ago as far as what was happening, and this is it. So uh, thanks to everybody who, who's been showing up and, and participating uh, in the shows and all the feedback that we're getting. So, um, yeah, appreciate it all. Yeah, Dan, it's been fun to watch you uh, because when we record, we don't actually look at each other. So I, I like to talk to you on Facebook Live and make faces at you and act like you can see me making faces at you. So folks can uh, can catch Dan. You guys can uh, chat at, at you guys and uh, sometimes or well, usually you'll answer the questions unless it's, you know, something like snarky like I sometimes like to do. <laughs> but people should enjoy doing that. Uh, you can follow Blazers Edge at Blazers Edge on Twitter. You can also find me at TCB Biggs. You can subscribe to the Blazers Edge podcast via iTunes or Google Play. We are part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Check out our podcast and all the other awesome NBA podcasts at almightyballer.com. Dave gave a very impassioned and wonderful, uh, for which I am thankful, um, ask of people to go and uh, rate the podcast on iTunes because that's very important for getting it visibility. So I appreciate that. Subscribe, he unsubscribe. That. Do it multiple times. <laughs> that seems like cheating. It is, and everybody does it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>